The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Borum. Well, the funny thing about the biotech world is that drug developers can plot away for years without getting due recognition. Uh, but then they suddenly excite investors when they do something maybe a little bit different. Uh, now, now, Star Pharma uh, certainly isn't new. It's been uh, listed for more than two decades. But its shares recently went on a, a run after the company reported promising progress with an anti-COVID-19 nasal spray. The potential treatment is based on uh, VivaGel, the company's product that was uh, developed to treat the common women's condition bacterial vaginosis, which the company's now commercialising. Uh, Vivadel is also used as an antiviral coating on condoms for that uh, little bit of extra protection. And just to add a bit more colour, Star Pharma is also running a number of cancer drug combination trials. Now, I've got with me the company's CEO, Dr. Jackie Fairley, to tell me more. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Tim. Thanks for uh, joining me. Um, now, uh, your your drug te- technology, um, it's built around dendromas. Um, now, can you uh, please explain what they are and what they do? Sure. So dendromas are a, a relatively large kind of polymer, so um, a, a roughly spherical polymer. Many other polymers are linear, so like little bits of spaghetti, but dendromas are actually spherical and very precisely made. Um, And Star Pharma has a whole range of patents associated with the use of these dendroma molecules for various pharmaceutical applications. Yeah, okay. Um, Who else uh, uh, dwells in dendromas? Is it uh, a a commonly uh, researched and developed uh, area of, of medicine? Well, in fact, Star Pharma has a pretty dominant position in intellectual property or in patents um, for dendromas, particularly in the sort of pharmaceutical sphere. So we have um, had that area pretty much to ourselves. There are some smaller players in industrial and other cosmetic applications, but um, in pharmaceuticals, it's really Star Pharma. Yeah, okay, okay. Now, as mentioned, your your first... um approved treatment is, is VivaGel for bacterial vaginosis. Um, now, that was launched about two years ago uh, in Australia, uh, if my memory serves me correctly. Yeah, it was launched in uh, April 2019. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, not, 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 not quite, but almost. Um, in any event, um, uh, how has the global launch uh, uh, gone since then? So the global, yeah. So the global launches are going well. It's uh, still a, it's still rolling out across the world. So um, Australia was the first um, country to have an approval, um, and uh, then following on from that, it's been um, launched in various countries in Europe, including the UK, um, as and as well as that in a number of Asian countries. So that there's a progressive rollout um, throughout Europe. 
uh, across Asia and in other various other markets around the world. And we've got, uh, I think, registration now in around, um, I think it's around 39 countries. Uh, and launch is um, rolling out across those countries, and we have a number of others that are still going, that are still sort of in the registration process. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's sort of the size of the uh, addressable market? So the VibaGel product can be used uh, in two ways. It can be used to treat bacterial vaginosis, and in um, in that case, the market size is about seven hundred and fifty million dollars globally. Okay. Uh, and it can also be used as a prophylactic or a preventative to avoid recurrent bacterial vaginosis because it is a condition which uh, women get repeatedly uh, and that market is um, over a billion dollars, so probably about $1.2 billion. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I presume the US is, is, is the biggest market and you, you're not approved there yet, are you? But I presume you, are, uh, you, you certainly want to be. Yeah, so the US, uh, for most pharmaceutical products, the US is the largest single market, although I guess as uh, China uh, increases in size, that might change over time. Um, but it is, um, yeah, so it is, the US is the, is the largest single market, uh, although Europe obviously is an important market as well. Um, and yes, we are continue, we are going through the registration process in relation to the US. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, and you sell, you don't sell directly, do you? You, you sell through a, a series of uh, distributors around That's the right. world. So, yeah, we um, have our marketing partners um, uh, include uh, Aspen Pharmacare for Australia New Zealand, um, Mundi Pharma, who've licensed the product in around 120 countries, um, and for the US, ITF Pharma. Yeah, okay. Okay. And, and and what's wrong with the uh, prevailing treatment for the condition? Well, bacterial vaginosis um, is caused by a group of um, kinds of bacteria, anaerobic bacteria, um, and so typically they're treated with conventional antibiotics, so things like metronidazole and clindamycin. Um, the trouble with metronidazole and clindamycin, which, have, which are the only products um, that have been used for this and used for many, many years, probably more than 30 years, um, is that uh, they have side effects associated with them that um, sometimes patients don't, uh, don't like so that they can cause nausea, they can cause um, secondary thrush, uh, they can cause metallic taste in your mouth um, and diarrhoea and things like that. So they have a number of side effects um, that consumers or patients don't like very much. Um, but also um, there is uh, evidence um, that there is resistance to antibiotics in some instances. And for some women, um, they just don't get a, get a response in their bacterial vaginosis to those conventional antibiotics. So the Vivagil BV product um, is the only non-antibiotic therapy for bacterial vaginosis. It has a very good... Um, tolerability profile. It's not absorbed into the bloodstream at all. And so it doesn't have systemic side effects in the way that antibiotics do. Um, and uh, it it is effective and uh, very well tolerated. And it, it acts via a different mechanism. So it has the added benefit that um, Certainly, it's been reported to us by um, OBGYNs who've got patients who've not responded to antibiotics um, that they've had a very good response to uh, Vivagel BV. Yeah, okay, okay, great. Now, now you're taking Vivagel or um, 
I think SPL7013 as it's uh, as a molecule, I think is sort of sort of formally known. Um, you, you, you're, you're taking that uh, up to the the fight against the um, coronavirus. Um, now, now you're saying that uh, uh, Vividel shows potent activity uh, against the, the virus or SARS-CoV-2 for the for the purists. Um, so, so what what have you done to, to 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 sort of prove that up to date and 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 to make that claim? Yeah, so the active ingredient in Vivagel BV, which is, as you say, SPL7013, is actually, um, it started life as an antiviral compound. It's a potent antiviral with activity against a whole range of viruses, so HIV, herpes, um, HPV, um, adenovirus, um, Zika virus. So we already knew that it was a potent antiviral and had broad-spectrum antiviral activity. Um, and so when uh, the COVID pandemic first emerged, naturally we were curious to know whether um, the drug had activity against um, SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so we um, undertook really what are very standard antiviral tests um, for all sorts of antiviral activity that you do in a whole range of different viruses. Um, and we found that not only was it highly active against SARS-CoV-2, but importantly, it also has a very favourable select, what they call selectivity index, which is the difference between um, the level at which the drug is active against the virus and the level at which you actually see toxicity against the drug. Um, and so in our case, that selectivity index is more than 2,000-fold. Uh, great. And um, I, I presume the work to date has, has been on the lab bench. Um, so, so in other words, you, you're, you haven't used uh, human guinea pigs quite yet. No, that's correct. I mean, obviously, um, uh, COVID-19 only emerged a matter of a few months ago. Um, yes. And so, um, uh, the you know, the level of testing that, uh, you know, that people have been able to undertake is um, is you know, has been compressed somewhat. But, yeah, so the two um, we've got, we've established that um, in the same way as you test antiviral activity against any other virus like HIV, we've established that in the standard antiviral testing methods, um, the uh, drug is highly active against SARS-CoV-2, um, and we've also established that it has this very uh, favourable selectivity index, which means that the therapeutic window is very wide for it. Um, and both of those, when you do that kind of testing, that testing is done in a laboratory where you use mammalian cells and you infect them or try to infect them with virus and you yes. measure how active uh, a particular um, uh, molecule is. So in this case, SPL7013 in, um, in preventing that infection or inactivating the virus. Yeah. Okay. And I, I know it's sort of hard to to um, comment, I guess, on commercialisation. But but would you see it as a treatment or or a uh, prophylactic? Well, actually, it has an opportunity to to play in both of those markets. Um, it is active whether it's used before exposure to virus or after exposure to virus. Um, and it, it and in the first instance. We're focusing on developing a pro prophylactic or preventative nasal spray. So 
something that would be sprayed um, into your nose before you were exposed to virus, or you could use it after exposure, but preferably you would use it before. Um, and that would actually line your nasal mucosal surfaces. And when there was exposure to virus, it would uh, inactivate virus before it actually infects you and then infect, you know, then spreads through your body. So this is a preventative spray that could be used um, alongside vaccines. It could be used before vaccines are available. Um, it could be used together with other PPE, obviously, so masks and, yes. and also as well as social distancing. So these are, it's a, um, a preventative which would prevent you becoming infected, um, but it could also be used after you were infected. Um, and there are other applications that I mentioned that we're not focusing on in the first instance, but um, where it could be used either as an injection or inhaled, so as a nebulised solution, or even as an eye drop. Yeah, okay, okay. And uh, I, uh, I read that it uh, worked better than uh, the famous uh, hydroxychloroquine, if I've uh, pronounced that uh, correctly. Uh, so have you broken the news to the Oval Office uh, yet? Uh, we haven't yet. We haven't had communication with the Oval Office yet. But rest assured that um, as soon as the product's available, we will be sending a box of it over to the Oval Office. <laughs> Did hydroxychloroquine work at all? Uh, so uh, we we didn't uh, actually repeat their efficacy um, antiviral efficacy data, which um, which is available. Sort of obviously is published. What we did do is compare um, hydroxychloroquine in a um, a time of addition study, which 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 is where you look at adding um, the drug at various time points. Uh, and in that case. No, it um, it didn't actually uh, didn't actually appear to work at all. Um, remdesivir did work at the early stage that it's known to be active, and and SPL seven zero one three acted at all points across the six hour um, experiment, but no, hydroxychloroquine did not. Okay, well, uh, no doubt we won't be uh, reading about that in a, a Donald uh, Trump uh, uh, tweet. Um, now. Moving on, um, you're uh, spending, uh, I think, uh, on quite a quite a bit of your uh, funds on a, a series of cancer trials, and, and, and there are quite a few um, based on your Depp platform, which has got nothing to do with Johnny Depp, but I, but it stands for a Dendroma Enhanced Platform. Uh, now, now, which uh, which studies are the most advanced, and and, and what are they targeting? Well, actually, we have three uh, phase three trials running now, um, and they are um, using our DEP platform. Um, so our DEP technology, which is where we take an existing cancer drug and we attach it to um, the dendroma molecule, which is this large, highly branched polymer molecule. Um, and the reason we do that is because it improves the um, anti-cancer activity through targeting cancer tissue with the drug. So it's a, it's a form of targeting of cancer tissue. Um, and so the three products are Depdocetaxel, uh, Depcarbazitaxel, and Depirinotecan. All of those three products are in phase, uh, phase two trials currently. Um, and we have those trials running in a range of leading anti-cancer centres across the UK and also we have um, we have an Australian site for a couple of the trials as well. Okay, and so funding-wise, you're uh, 
doing it, some of it yourself, and, and you've got a partner in uh, AstraZeneca. Yeah, that's correct. So we actually have an, a number of um, partnered programs running at an earlier stage, but the most advanced of those is a multi-product license with AstraZeneca, where we've taken a very exciting uh, anti-cancer drug um, that they had in development, a BCL2, BCL XL inhibitor, which was unfortunately too toxic to develop without a delivery um, uh, technology. Uh, and so we have applied depth to that product and that, that product, the resultant dendroma version, AZD0466, uh, is now in phase one trial. So with the depth technology, we have three phase two assets of our own and the most advanced partnered program is AZD0466, which is the AstraZeneca um, AstraZeneca product, which is currently being trialled in hematology, um, hematological tumours and also solid tissue tumours. Yeah, okay, great. And so you've got cash of around $30 million, so it's quite a bit. Um, I, I presume you don't need to join that uh, long conga line of biotechs who are sort of going to the well for, for, for a capital raising at the moment? Uh, no, we're in a strong financial position, uh, as you say. Yeah, we've got uh, just over thirty million uh, cash uh, cash in hand, um, and uh, we're you know we're well funded. We you know our burn historically has been around ten million dollars per annum, and obviously we've going forward we've got you know well this year we had a um, hundred and sixty percent increase in revenues uh, to seven uh, to seven million. Uh, and obviously, where as the VivaGel BV product is rolled out across the world, we expect those revenues to grow. Okay, and that revenue of around seven million that that derived from um, uh, from from uh, other party uh, distributor payments, uh, mainly in relation to VivaGel. So it was actually it breaks down the revenue breaks down into uh, a significant component on it of it was a um, a milestone payable for the AZD0466 so an AstraZeneca milestone as the AZD0466 advances through its development Star Farm is eligible to get about 124 million US in milestones um, about 60 million prior to the approval of the product and 60 post. Um, and so this was one of those milestones, as well as um, uh, royalties and product sales in the VivaGel uh, for VivaGel BV. Across the cancer program and the the VivaGel, um, there's there's really quite promising um, uh, revenues in the offing. So uh, Jackie, look look great great to talk, and uh, all the best with uh, development. Thank you very much. Pleased to be with you.